There's a saying that goes like this, that church is a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. Church is a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. So what this highlights is that when we come to church, it should not be a place where we're just trying to make ourselves look as good as we possibly can or that we look down on people who obviously don't have it together as well as we do. No, no, church should be a place where we can be real about what's going on in our lives, including the struggles, including the things that may not be as pretty or as attractive. Or we can even say, you know what, I'm struggling even to walk with God as closely as I ought to. Church should be a place where we can be real like that. I mean, you think about a hospital. You don't get super healthy people going to the hospital just for the fun of it. No, a hospital is a place for people to go when they recognize that, you know what, I'm not healthy. I need to get healthier. I need to heal. That's the purpose of a hospital. And spiritually speaking, we are all naturally sick because of our sin. God is holy, as we just sang, but but we are not. And that sin separates us from God. It creates all kinds of problems in our lives and the lives of those around us. And so when we look at church as a hospital for sinners, we need need to recognize it's not merely a social club even though it is kind of nice to have the relationships, but it's not just a social club. And it's not just a place to get your weekly dose of encouragement, even though hopefully involvement here is encouraging. It's more than that. Church, biblically speaking, is to be a gathering of people who are committed to each other and committed to God so that together we can experience the transforming grace of Christ in fresh ways that helps heal us and make us more like Christ. So today we're going to be looking at one of the keys in how we as a church family can be an effective hospital for sinners like all of us through experiencing the transforming work of Christ. I invite you to turn your Bibles this morning to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. We're in a series right now called Speak Life. And it's based on Proverbs 18 verse 21 that says that the tongue has the power of life and death. The tongue has the power of life and death. Our words are powerful, and we all know that. We know that our words can build people up, our words can tear people down. Words that were spoken a long time ago can continue to have impact even today. And words that we speak today can have impact years or even decades from now. Words are powerful. And today we're talking about that to grow, we must speak the truth and love to one another. To grow, we must speak the truth in love to one another. And so with that in mind, this, this message that we're looking at today, this topic, is probably the most relevant of the entire series in terms of how we use our words to help people grow spiritually. So let me pray for us and we'll dig into this topic. Our Father, we thank you for your amazing grace. That you sent Jesus to this world to redeem us while we were yet sinners. And, and we recognize those truths that we talked about earlier, that we are sinful, yet you love us. That love that you show us is so precious. But we also have to balance that with the truth of our sinful nature. And so, Lord, I pray that in our time together today that we thank you for Scripture. And we pray that you will teach us through Scripture what it means to live with truth and with love, especially in how we speak to those around us. And I pray that we will grow as a church family and as individuals who effectively speak the truth in love 
to one another and to the world around us. We pray these things in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. So we're looking at Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4 contains a, really a beautiful passage about the way that God designs church to function. Again, church not, be, not being an institution, not being a building, not being a service, but church being a people committed to one another and to God. And he's talking about the church growing in maturity and helping people there grow in spiritual maturity as well. And he talks about when we grow in that maturity, no longer will we, we be like infants tossed back and forth like waves on a sea tossed back and forth by the wind. He says, picking up in verse 15, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will be, grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So in verse 15 you saw this phrase of speaking the truth in love. Let me read that verse from a different translation, from New Living Translation, because it's a little bit smoother in terms of the understanding of it. It says, Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. So this verse points to this beautiful ultimate goal of what our lives should be and what church should be about, that the goal is growing to be like Christ like Christ in our character, like Christ in our motives, like Christ in our mission in the world, the mission of redemption, growing to be like Christ. And this passage says that there is something that, that we need to be doing if we want to grow like Christ. And what we need to be doing, according to this passage, is speaking the truth and love to one another. This is a primary means of helping each other grow to be like Christ, is, is to speak the truth and love to one another. And so what speaking the truth in love means is that we have people in our lives who are willing to, to come alongside of us and help us, even at times speaking hard truths that we need to hear to help us to grow. And we all need this because we all have blind spots. We all have, have weaknesses that, that we may not see in ourselves because we have sin in our lives that, that skews our perspective on what's important and what we value. If we have pride in our lives, our pride can blind us from our own shortcomings. We, are, we have a tendency as humans to give ourselves the benefit of the doubt. And so we need people to come alongside of us who can point out things that we may not recognize. Or even to point out things that we may not even know that's an issue. Even biblically speaking, they might be able to say, Hey, how's this that you're doing or saying line up with what's in Scripture? I think of how back when I was a junior in college, I'd been a uh, a follower of Christ for only about six months at that point. I was growing a lot, but there was a lot I didn't yet know. And I was meeting weekly with a fellow student. He was about the same age as me, but he was much further along spiritually. And he was essentially discipling me. He was helping me grow as a follower of Christ. And so every week, we'd have certain topics that, that he would lead a discussion on to help me to grow. And I remember one particular week, we, he, he led us to kind of a, a quieter part of campus and he proceeded to lead a discussion about the topic of lust. For me, this is a topic that I'd never really thought about before in this light. And as we talked about the various angles of lust, I began to realize, hey, there are some things that need to change in my life. And so in the coming weeks and months, he began just holding me accountable for that. But what he was doing was speaking the truth in love. 
and helping open my eyes to realities that I needed to change in my life, but then also giving the grace, the encouragement, the accountability to help me really follow through on that. Speaking the truth in love to help me grow. And we all need this in our lives. Paul is saying basically here, we need to be willing to speak hard truth at times, but definitely do it in the spirit of love. I mean, this is such an important aspect of speaking life. As I said, this is the aspect of speaking life out of, out of this entire series. This may be the, the message and the, and the topic that's most relevant for actual spiritual growth because it's coming alongside of one another and helping each other grow closer to Christ. So it's, it's very important in terms of, of, of speaking life, but there are so many ways that, that speaking the truth in love can go wrong. So let's dig a little bit deeper into this. I want to turn our attention to Colossians chapter 3. If you're following along in your Bibles, just flip a few pages to the right to Colossians chapter 3. It's a very similar passage, again, talking about the church and how the church can accomplish the will of God. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, Paul writes, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another. So let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. And so the idea of teaching and admonishing is the idea of speaking truth. Teaching is pretty obvious. You're instructing people on, on things. But, but the admonishing is, that's a word that we don't use as much in today's culture. But admonishing is just warning someone. It might be rebuking someone. It might be uh, just this correcting someone or just kind of helping direct the path that someone's going on. And so that's the idea of speaking the truth but doing so in love. And here in this passage, there are several criteria that Paul gives us that can help us understand how to speak the truth in love. One of the things, if we want to speak the truth in love, is that we need to be filled with God's word. Be filled with God's word. It says, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. So what this means is that if we want to speak the truth in love to those around us, we should not be driven by emotion, or we should not be driven by having taken offense at what someone else says. We need to, to kind of get back at them or we need to put them in their place. No, that's not what should motivate speaking the truth in love and, or inform what we're saying. We should not be speaking the truth in love just based on some legalistic rules that we have or some, some hobby horse that we, or, or platform that we like to get up on and, and preach on these certain topics all the time and hold others to that same standard that may or may not be biblical. No, we need to come back to Scripture. And let ourselves be immersed in, in what the Bible's teaching is and use that as the basis for the truth that we are speaking to one another in love. So we need to be filled with God's word. Also, we need to do this mutually. Speak the truth in love mutually. That's, that's why it says, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. It's one another. It's not just one person, for instance, a pastor or a priest or or some long-term Bible study leader who's in some place of spiritual superiority who is just speaking truth and love to everyone else. No, it's everyone to be doing it with one another. And it's not to be done with a pharisaical attitude of, hey, I can speak truth to you, but, but don't you dare speak truth back to me. No, it's not that way. It's to be done mutually with one another. Paul's saying that if you are a part of a church, this is something that you are to be doing with other people and that you are willing to open yourself up to allow others to speak truth and love 
back to you because this is a part of iron sharpening an iron of helping us all grow as followers of Christ. And Paul also says we need to do it wisely. He says, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. So what that means is that in speaking the truth in love, it's not to be done impulsively or recklessly, but to be done thoughtfully and intentionally where, where we're applying wisdom and care in what we're saying and why we are saying it. And I think we have a tendency, uh, when we're thinking about speaking truth, we're doing it out of anger or out of irritation or bitterness. You know, we're really upset with someone, so we need to go put them in their place. That's not what Paul is talking about when he's talking about speaking the truth in love. The Bible is very clear that when we speak the truth in love, it's to be done with love as the motivating factor. And when we do that, then we will be speaking words of life. If the motivation is something else, whether it's bitterness or anger or irritation or, or grudge, if we're speaking the truth in those contexts, odds are good it's going to come across not as words of life, but as words of death. So we are to speak the truth in love. And I think it's helpful to clarify what is love. I mean, it's kind of a deep question when you really think about it. But we have to understand what is love if we want to know what it means to speak the truth in love. And when our culture interprets love, frequently our culture views love from the emotional side of, you know what, love is this passion that you have for someone else that makes you swim through any sea or climb any mountain just to be with that special someone. You know what, that is kind of an angle on love of, of you know what, the butterflies you get when you're around them and just, just that joy and how they're everything to you. That can be an angle of love. But biblically, love is so much more than just that emotion. Biblically, love is a choice to will the good of another. When you love someone, you want to do whatever it takes to help them experience the greatest possible good that God has for them. And so in this context of understanding love in that way, we have to understand that sometimes the most loving thing we can do to, for someone is to speak the truth to them, even if it might hurt a bit, because if you see someone going in a direction that is unhealthy, that's going to lead to a destruction or, or hurt them or hurt others, is it loving just to let them keep going in that direction? No. The loving thing to do is to come alongside of them and speak the truth in love. Say, so you know what? I've been there before. I, I, I've experienced that and the pain that goes along with the path you're heading down. Let's come back from that direction. Let's come back to, to, to a healthier direction. Speaking the truth in love is something that we need to do if we really want to be a blessing and speak life to those around us. But we have to understand that it still might hurt at times. I mean, you think about a lot of the procedures and activities that take place when you're healing. Like if you go into a hospital or a clinic, sometimes procedures that make us healthy do hurt some in the process. I'll say, I'm thankful for anesthesia. That, you know, some of the most pa potentially painful procedures, you don't actually uh, feel the pain because you're not consciously there. But there are a lot of other things where you do feel the pain. I think of a few years ago, I had a bike accident. I've had a few of them through the years, but this is one of the smaller ones. Um, 
But still, my knee had a lot of road rash on it. Um, it was pretty swollen, just a lot of blood and messiness in there. And so I went to the walk-in clinic, and it got x-rayed and stuff. But before that, it had to be fully cleaned out. And so the nurse is sitting there just kind of cleaning it out, and it hurt. I mean, you probably know what that's like. It hurts, but that's a necessary part of the process of healing. It's the same thing of helping people grow spiritually, that sometimes, you know what, it hurts a little bit. It's not comfortable to come face-to-face with our weaknesses or our sin. But that's necessary for healing. That's necessary if, if we want Freedom's Church to be a hospital for sinners to heal. God's design for our growth is that we will be ministering to one another, speaking the truth in love, helping one another to grow. That's why Paul said, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. And back in Ephesians chapter 4, we speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. So we are called to speak the truth in love. Now, for some people, speaking truth comes very, very naturally. For others, not so much. I think it's helpful to look at this idea of a grace-truth spectrum, where you have grace on one end of the spectrum, truth on the other end, because most people aren't naturally balanced when it comes to, to being either gracious or truthful. Most people naturally are kind of one side or the other, depending on their upbringing or depending on their personality or other experiences in life. Some people are grace people. Grace people are generally pretty easy to be around. They're easygoing. They're, they're generally pretty friendly and, and gracious. Uh, they tend to see th- things more in shades of gray rather than black and white. Um, they're, they're pretty quick to forgive and give the benefit of the doubt. They're nice people to be around. On the other side, truthful people can still be nice to be around, but they generally see things a little bit more black and white. They have strong opinions. They have strong convictions. They are passionate about living by those convictions. They are people who, if there is a wrong somewhere, whether it's in society or to someone around them, they're going to be more quick to point that out and to speak out against oppression or injustice or sin. And both sides here are good, but both sides also have weaknesses. For instance, if you're too far in the grace end of the spectrum, it can be easy to be kind of wishy-washy. To, to struggle to make decisions when there's something difficult that has to be determined. It, it can be, uh, if you're way on the gray side, it can be difficult for people around you to know what, what you're really thinking. Because when you're way on the gray side, you have a tendency to want to be a people pleaser. You don't want to ruffle feathers. But in doing so, if you have opinions, you may be more likely to keep them to yourself. On the truth side, it's, it's kind of the opposite of that, of, of, you know what, you'll just get it out there. And you know what? You may end up hurting people in the process. People on the truth side are probably more, are frequently more passionate for, for getting it right than for caring about people's feelings in the process. There is um, a pastor out in California named Larry Osborne. Uh, he's written a bunch of different books, but, but he talks about this idea of pit bulls for Jesus. And this fits, if you're way on the, the truth side of the spectrum, a pit bull for Jesus is someone who is very, very passionate about certain causes. And, and it's, it's a great person on one hand to have on your side if you guys are passionate for the same causes or the same theology or the same, same types of ministry in church or something like that. They're very, very passionate about that. They're, they're courageous. They have convictions. They're living by those convictions. The problem is, If you have someone who's kind of that pit bull for Jesus, they're way on the truth side, 
What do pit bulls do? It's not uncommon for pit bulls to turn around and bite you and to bite hard. And that's what happens when you have someone way on the truth side of the spectrum that they care more about their perception of the truth than they do about the people around them. And so what happens if you're around someone who is a pit bull for Jesus, don't be surprised. Even if, even if you guys are aligned right now, don't be surprised if, if at some point in the future opinions diverge and they turn around and bite hard. That's what happens if you're really, really far on the truth end of the spectrum without balancing it with the grace. Now the call is to have both truth and grace. Truth and love. And Jesus was someone who perfectly modeled both grace and truth. In fact, in John chapter 1, verse 14, it says that the word became flesh, and that's speaking of Jesus, and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus was not just like 50% grace and 50% truth. It wasn't like he just had a, a nice balance there. He was full, 100% grace, 100% truth. He lived him out in every aspect of his life in ministry so beautifully. I mean, I think about the scenario of, in John chapter 8 of this woman who had been caught in the act of adultery and the Jewish leaders wanted to stone her to death and they were trying to, to kind of catch or, or trap Jesus in the process. And Jesus speaks first of all basically to those leaders, gets all of them going away. And, and shame, but then um, for this woman, at one point at the end of the scenario, it's only Jesus and the woman standing there. Remember, she's been caught in something incredibly shameful. But it says, Jesus said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. What this is is a picture of Jesus embodying pure grace and pure truth simultaneously. The grace is the part that says, who condemns you? I don't condemn you. Go now. You are free to go. That's grace. But the truth says, go and sin no more. Leave your life of sin. It's grace and truth. And we need that grace and truth to be truly transformative in the lives of others and in our own life as well. That's why we are called to speak the truth in love. Now Jesus, it had to be nice being perfect because he could have that perfect balance all the time. We struggle to keep that balance. Like I said earlier, most of us tend naturally to either the grace side or the truth side. I know for me, I am naturally way on that grace end of the spectrum. That's just how I've been through most of my life, way on that grace end of the spectrum. I think, for instance, back in 2003, I was just a little bit out of college, and I was on staff with the campus ministry, and I was one of the leaders of a summer missions trip in Ocean City, New Jersey, and there were 34 staff members and 115 students. So this is a lot of people, and the vast majority of us lived in this place called the Ambassador Inn. A picture of the ambassador, and about 100 of us lived in that place, and then the rest just scattered in other parts in the neighborhood around there. And one of my roles, in addition to discipling students that summer, was I was one of the building managers, helping make sure the facilities uh, were running well and kept clean and stuff like that. And we had very clear guidelines about, um, about cleanliness, and you need to pick up after yourself and stuff like that. 
But you can imagine what it's like when you get over 100 college students in a very confined space and just what that's like after they hang out. It gets kind of chaotic. And in fact, the common areas of the house, even though we had guidelines, like, you know what, clean up after yourself, don't leave food out, stuff like that, the place was becoming a bit of a pigsty. And something had to be done. And so somehow, I was the one chosen to confront all 115 students there, and you need to clean up after yourself. You cannot leave uh, just sweatshirts and, and, and jackets laying everywhere. You can't just leave old food remnants all over the place. If you play a game, you need to put it away. Leave, put away your papers and your books and stuff. Just don't leave it out there because it was becoming a bit of a pigsty. Someone had to address this. We needed more than just the guidelines on the wall. Someone had to address it. And so somehow I was that guy who got to address this with all those people. And so I, I, I thought for a while, and I, I carefully planned what I was going to say, and I got up there. We met several nights a week as a large group, and I got up there, and I, I said what, what I had planned to say. Afterwards, one of my friends, uh, who was one of the other staff members on that, on that missions trip, he said, Brandon, there is not a mean bone in your body. Because, you know, that's me as a grace person. I had to, to, you know, get on a little bit about it. You need to clean up. But the way I framed it was all grace. And I don't remember how effective that was or not, but, but it showed. I know we eventually got things figured out. I think they responded in some manner. But that still shows the core of who I am is more that grace person, where I am kind of that bit of a people pleaser, where it is hard for, at times for me to say things that might rub other people the wrong way. I don't like offending people. Where people on that truth end of the spectrum, you know what? If you offend someone, so be it. The most important thing is to, to be faithful to the truth. And so for me, I'm naturally that grace person. But through the years, I have at least come to a better balance between the grace and the truth. Uh, two of the main factors, one is my wife, because she's pretty far on the truth end of the spectrum. And she's been a very helpful and valuable influence in me through the years of helping balance that grace with more of a truth perspective as well. Also being a pastor has helped me grow in that truthfulness side. Not just in telling the truth versus telling lies, but in standing up for what's true and helping enforce, you know what, this is how we handle things. Because I've realized that, you know what, you get a church of a few hundred people and, and you get people pulling in different directions. If you aren't careful, just kind of like the Ambassador Inn became, it becomes kind of a pigsty of everyone just kind of doing what's right in their own eyes and you end up with gossip and you end up with clicks and you end up with people just pulling in a bunch of different directions. It, it gets kind of messy. Most of us have probably experienced churches kind of like that. And so I've realized that for me as a pastor and for other leaders in the church, we need the grace side, but it must be balanced with that truth side where, you know what, we don't put up with gossip. If you want to start bad-mouthing other people, we need to have a conversation. I'm going to treat you with love, but, but we're going to have a conversation about what's true and how this needs to be handled as well. Because if leaders don't do that, you know what, people will start kind of doing whatever they feel like doing. And so, so it's important that we grow in balancing the grace and truth. I'll say for myself, I still find I wobble back and forth all the time. Sometimes a little bit too much on the grace side. Sometimes a little bit too much on the truth side. And that's where it's so helpful to have others around me. The leadership board, staff, Shelley. I mean, just others around me who can help 
uh, identify those areas where maybe I'm blind in this instance. And maybe I'm not seeing things quite clearly. Maybe I'm skewing a little bit too much to the gr- truth side or a little bit too much to the grace side. We all need that. We need people speaking the truth to us in love to help us grow and to make the wisest decisions. We need both. Tim Keller, pastor from New York City, I quoted him earlier, but he said, love without truth is sentimentality. It supports and affirms us, but keeps us in denial about our flaws. On the other hand, truth without love is harshness. It gives us information, but in such a way that we cannot really hear it. Because if you're too much of a truth person and you don't, don't have that motivated by love, you might be saying things that are completely accurate, but people may not be able to receive them because it's rather than harshness, not love. So we need to have both truth and love. So let me give us a few more practical tidbits on how to speak the truth and love to those around us. One practical thing is simply to examine your motives. To examine, if you want to talk with someone about, you know, confronting them on something or, or just pointing out, hey, do you think that, is that really accurate? Examine your motives. Are you motivated out of love, out of truly wanting to help in this situation? Or is it motivated more out of anger? Or out of irritation? Or out of a motivation of, you know what, I, I want to prove them wrong. Or I want to get back at them. I, wanna, I, I want them to feel bad. If we are not motivated out of love, we are not yet ready to talk with them about whatever the issue is. On top of this, when we do talk and speak the truth in love, it needs to be with humility and respect. There's a passage I, I really like out of 2 Timothy chapter 2. Paul says, The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed, and the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. That's 2 Timothy 2, verses 24 through 26. And here, Paul is talking with Timothy about false teachers, people who are coming into that church community, trying to mislead people from God's truth, as recorded in Scripture. So these are, these are, this is a big deal. These are opponents to the Christian faith. But even with them, Paul says, you must not be quarrelsome. You must be kind, not resentful, And so it's talking about instructing them and doing it with humility and with respect because that is the way that we are going to be able to to speak the truth in love in a way that will lead to positive results rather than just anger and frustration. So do it uh, after examining motives with humility and respect. Also, ideally speaking face-to-face. Social media is a terrible place to try to speak truth in love. I see people doing it almost every day on on Facebook. Don't go there. It's just not effective. The best way is face-to-face. I mean, email, better than social media. Phone, a little bit better. Ideally, though, it would be face-to-face. And ideally, it takes place in the context of an ongoing relationship. So ideally, focus on speaking truth and love in, in relationships that are already established, that already have trust and camaraderie there, and this really highlights that, that when we talk about speaking the truth in love, it shouldn't always be this big blow-up type of thing. It shouldn't be this big affair where you have to gear up for weeks for what you're going to say and how you're going to say it. It should just be a part of daily life. Just, just, you know what, minor course corrections. You're in a conversation with someone, maybe in a Bible study or in fellowship hall after the service or, or over the phone or at a coffee shop or at home. It's just, 
in the course of daily conversations that you're speaking the truth in love, that, you know, if someone says something that seems a little bit off or you're unsure of or, or you see something that kind of rubs you the wrong way or you're like, how's this really fit in with what God teaches? That just in the moment, graciously, kindly, with love, you point out, you know what, is that really the way it is or, or what about this over here? Now, if we don't do that, if we just wait uh, and let things build up, then it does become a huge issue, and the, the odds of it turning out well are much less. So the best way to speak truth and love is to do it in the context of, of trusting, caring, loving relationships, just, just, you know, on moment by moment basis in the course of conversations. And that's how we sharpen each other as iron sharpens iron. And finally... Another uh, strategy for speaking the truth in love is just modeling the gospel's grace and truth. Modeling Jesus and what he did. If he did not undermine truth, but he spoke the truth in love. And the cool thing about truth and love, and especially in terms of God, is, I mean, he, he was completely truthful about the fact that we are sinful people, but he is still loving. And he demonstrates that love through his commitment to us, even when we sin. But, but when we see God's love and commitment to us, it, it should lead us to repentance, which is an acknowledgement of the truth. But then as we come to that knowledge of the truth and repent, it leads us back to more grace that transforms us from the inside out. And so as we speak the truth in love, we are modeling the gospel's grace and truth and helping people to, to, to see the truth of what's going on, but then to apply God's grace to the situation to help them to grow. You know, when I really think about the idea of the hospital and, and church being a hospital for sinners that can help bring healing, there are so many parallels with actual hospitals. And I think about how in an actual hospital or doctor's setting, or, or even with nurses, it's so important that people in those settings are speaking the truth. And sometimes people don't, in, in a hospital setting, uh, in patients, they don't like to hear the truth of what's being said. But just think about what it would be like if, if doctors and nurses just wanted to sugarcoat everything and just, I don't know if they can really handle this today, so let's just kind of pretend like it's not happening. That doesn't help anyone. No, in, in a setting where healing is the goal, dealing with things and their truth is key. I think of the only time that I spent a night in the hospital uh, since the time I was born was a few years ago when I had appendicitis. It developed on a Sunday, started on Sunday morning, and I ended up going into the ER later that day. And I remember sitting in one of those back rooms in the emergency room. They told me I had appendicitis. They were talking about, okay, here's the game plan. You're going to have surgery. It was a Sunday. It was the first day of Freedom's Foundations class. I love the Freedom's Foundations class. It's one of my favorite things we do. And the first session, which was that night, is my favorite session of them all. I deeply wanted to be there. And I, I spent a while on the phone that afternoon just talking with other leaders who would be taking it over. But I thought, I would love to be able to be there. And you know what? We caught this appendicitis early, so said the doctors. Surely that means I could get a couple hours to go to the Foundations course and come back here for the surgery. So I, I literally asked the doctor in the ER, hey, would it be possible like, to wait a little while for the surgery, for me to be gone for like two hours, teach this class, and then come back for the surgery? What do you think he said? No. You are correct. He said no. In retrospect, I'm thankful that he said no, but he had to speak truth to me because that's what happens. We all get these desires and wishes and, and, and nice thoughts in our minds, and they're sometimes skewed by sin, and, and, and we think, oh, that would be nice. 
And we need people to speak the truth to us to help lead us back in the direction that we need to go. Looking back, I'm very thankful that the doctor spoke the truth to me on that Sunday evening. And looking back over the course of my life, I'm so thankful for so many brothers and sisters in Christ who spoke the truth to me in love. And you know what? A lot of them didn't even realize that they were shaping the direction of my life, but they were. And I mean, sometimes there were really big conversations. Oftentimes it was just little conversations where we're still speaking the truth in love that shapes who I am today in a good way. And I pray that each one of us has those people who speak the truth and love to us. And that we have humble hearts that are receptive to what others say. That even if it rubs us the wrong way at first, that we will still humbly examine it and just see, okay, is this true? And if so, how do I apply God's grace to my life so that I can be transformed from the inside out to become more like Christ? That's how we become a church that is effective at healing people of their sin and, and, and helping people experience Christ's transforming grace. And that's how we grow as well as individuals. Speaking the truth in love. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that you sent Jesus full of grace and truth. We thank you that he balanced those. With only truth, there's no way that we could stand or be redeemed. With only grace, well, sin isn't effectively dealt with. So we're thankful for, for both grace and truth.